0: to the Locked On Diamondbacks Podcast. You're part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day, you're listening to who? Always wonderful, and might I add, handsome host of this podcast, Miller Thomas. I'm a multimedia journalist, and I'm a graphic designer, so please, go check out my website, millerthomas 24myportfoliocom And you can see all my latest work, from my packages, to my articles, to my photos, and my graphic design, for today's show, we are, of course, going to start off with those hot stove rumors. Got a few things to talk about with that. We got some news about the MLB and when spring training is going to start. We got an interesting article by Bleacher Report. They power ranked all the teams in baseball over the last five years. So I'll tell you where the D-backs fall on that list. And I think it's pretty deadly accurate. And then finally, in segment number two today, we're going to finish it up. Five biggest moves during Diamondbacks franchise history in the winter meetings we're gonna get to number one today and this one is fascinating interesting intriguing it's all of that and more so we'll get to all that and more on today's pod but first if your company's interested in reaching men between the ages of 18 and 44 your company should be sponsoring this podcast locked on diamondbacks to listen to by 98 men and 80 percent between the ages of 18 and 44 so if you want men in that age range this is your spot Plus, I'll read to the most reasonable round. Email me at LockedOnDiamondbacks at gmail.com to find out more. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 for my personal account at LockedOnDiamondbacks for the handle for the podcast on both Twitter and Instagram. The podcast handle on Twitter and Instagram at LockedOnDiamondbacks. Always mess that one up. But let's jump right into it. And as always, let's start with those hot stove rumors of the day. And the biggest news, I guess, of the day, Anthony, I've I been trying to practice his name the whole time, Anthony Discalfani signed a one-year deal with the Giants, and it wasn't a major deal, one year, $6 million, and... Anthony DeScolfani. He's not a guy that's gonna scare me as another NL West team. I mean, he's a pretty solid pitcher. He's a good pitcher. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think he's really scaring anybody. He's a pretty up and down kind of guy. He's only 30 years old, so he's still got uh, you know a few years left of high quality pitching. But he's a career 4.29 ERA, and he's a guy that's pretty up and down. A 7.22 ERA in just 33 starts or 33 innings this year, but in 2019. He had a 389 year rate and 166 innings. So you like that, but 493 the year before that. Didn't play at all in 2017 because of injuries. 328 in 2016. So this guy, you know, he's been pretty good most of the time. Maybe you say he was working his way back from injury in 2017. That's why his numbers are down in 2018. Then they were better in 2019, at least. So you can see the improvement in the trajectory. He's at least on, but he was awful in 2020, just wasn't good at all. He gave up 27 earned runs in just those 33 innings, seven home runs allowed. So, this was not the guy who you could really, you know, trust. But the thing with Descalfani, he's a New Jersey kid like me. He's from Freehold, so I know where he is, I know what part of New Jersey he's from. And I'm always going to root for the Jersey guys, but he's now a San Francisco Giant, an NL West rival. So, even though he's a Jersey guy, I don't know how much love I can have for him. And again, it's not like he's a game-changing kind of pitcher. He is probably their number three, number four starter. He's a solid pitcher. He can bounce back probably from 2020 because I think a lot of people are just going to chalk it up to it being a weird year. And if he can do that for the San Francisco Giants, he's going to be a great depth number three, number four starter in their rotation. It looks like the Mets might be interested in Nolan Arenado. There's some rumblings about, you know, the Mets. You know, they're they're just in on everyone. It seems like so. There's just some rumblings about maybe Arenado doing some, or not Arenado. Maybe the Mets going out there and trying to acquire Arenado from the Rockies, but. Bud Black, the manager of the Colorado Rockies, basically shutting down all trade rumors, not just for Nolan Arenado, but also Trevor Story. And why would he not? I mean, those two are some of the best offensive players in baseball. And with Arenado, he's also an elite defensive player. Now, his numbers were down in 2020, but it's COVID. It's a pandemic. I think a lot of people are just going to, you know, chalk that kind of stuff up to, you know, just 2020 being a a weird year and not really think too much about it. So if there was a team trying to trade for Nolan Arenado, I'm going to be in full support of it because he's a stud. Of course, if it's the Dodgers, I won't support it. But any team outside the NL West, it would be a great move for you. The only down part, I guess, is that he has an opt-out clause for the 2021 season. So potentially, you might only have him for one more year. But he's getting paid fat. He signed that I think two 260 million dollar eight-year extension back in 2019. So he's 29 years old, and there's no reason why he would opt out of that after one season. Maybe if he really doesn't like the John, uh, the the Colorado Rockies, then maybe he opts out. But If a team like the Mets goes out there, trades for him, and they're starting to build a super team, I don't see any reason why Nolan Arenado would opt out of that deal. Now, I mentioned about MLB talking about when... uh, when the sport is going to be returning in 2021 and they're telling all their managers to prepare for a mid-February spring training start. So basically normal as planned. Basically, you know, they're going to try to go along with the normal schedule that they usually do in years past. And of course, we're still in a pandemic, but MLB is kind of bracing that this vaccine is going to, you know, be out and ready by the start of the 2021 season. Of course, it's all fluid. Nothing's guaranteed. We don't know anything for certain, but If the vaccine is out, there's going to be a lot of managers and players that go get it, and a lot of them are going to feel pretty safe. And baseball, in general, might be feeling pretty safe to bring the sport back, maybe bring some fans back, maybe not do the whole mask and lesson protocol. So we'll see what baseball wants to do because they definitely want to get these games in. They definitely want to play as many games as possible because they lost Big money in 2020. They lost big money because of this pandemic. And so a lot of those teams are gonna try and make it up. We've talked about it a few times on this pod. Seems like the Phillies lost over a hundred million dollars during this pandemic. So we've seen all these minor league teams get caught. We've seen a lot of people in the front office, personnel get uh cut. I think I said caught before, get cut, minor leagues get cut, personnel gets cut, everyone's getting cuts, everyone's getting pay cuts getting fired a lot of a lot of negativity is stemming from this pandemic and it's affecting people's wallets and whenever people's wallets get affected that means changes are going to come so right now for baseball they want to make sure they have the season ready on time and they're going to try to play as many games as possible Now, I want to wrap up this segment by talking about a Bleacher Report article that I saw today, which I found very interesting, and they power-ranked all MLB franchises over the last five years, and I thought they just hit the D-backs, you know, I thought they hit the nail on the head when it came to the D-backs, because they had the D-backs ranked number 5th. 16, dead in the middle, one spot ahead of the Colorado Rockies at 16, one spot behind the Toronto Blue Jays at 14. And I just think that perfectly, you know, summarizes this D-backs team over the last five years because they've been an average baseball team. They've been the team that's been floating above water. They have one playoff appearance in 2017, but 2015, they won 79 games, then 69 in 2016, 93, 82, 85 and then 25. So I guess really the last 5 years starts in 2016. So 69 93 82 85 25. That's the definition of average. You have your one playoff appearance, but all the other years you're basically keeping your head above water, just good enough to show your fans that you can compete and you can, you know, stay around until about late August, early September before you always fall off and never make it to the postseason. Outside of your one 2017 run, which ended in a 3 0 sweep in the NLDS, so it wasn't like they've done a lot in the last five years. They're usually a competitive team, but not competitive enough to make a real push in the postseason or even make the postseason. So I think 15 is perfect for them because they're uh, an average team. They've been an average team the last five years. I wouldn't say they've been good, but I wouldn't say they've been bad because they don't ever bottom out, they just have that one. 69 win season 2016 then three straight years of 80 plus wins with the one postseason and then this past season you sucked. so the last five years have been bookend by two really crappy years then in the middle you had two really solid years but not good enough to make the postseason and then one year where you were good enough to make the postseason win a wild card game and then get swept in the nlds so the last five years Definitely the D-backs are an average team, but I'm hoping the next five years are better than that. Either be awful, bottom out, acquire more talent and rebuild this team or actually push your chips to the middle of the table and go all in. You got Madison Bumgarner. Hopefully he can bounce back. You got Ketel Marte. You got some other studs in your lineup. Go out there, acquire you know, a George Springer because you need a center fielder. Maybe go out there and acquire a guy like... At least a Jake Ordeezy, because you don't really trust your rotation. Or just go out there and acquire Trevor Bauer for a three-year deal. We know this pandemic screwed up a lot of teams financially. D backs are definitely one of them. And we know they don't want to spend the money, but if they ever want to to get bold and spend the money, I would be fully in support. I want to see my teams, you know, spend the money. I grew up in New Jersey. I watched a lot of Yankees games. They always spent the money to get the best players. And of course, the D backs are a lot smaller market, but if you have an owner who is rich, this is baseball. There's no luxury tax. Look at the Mets. They've been struggling for years financially, mostly because of that Bernie Madoff Ponzi scheme, and now they have Steve Cohen, the richest owner in sports, not sports, in baseball. Now they could go out there, open their wallets, and get whatever player they want to. So D-backs, I don't think it's a good excuse to say that you're a small market. That's the reason why you can't get players. If you had an owner who wasn't afraid to spend the money, then you would be able to compete with all the big dogs. Now, we'll get into the biggest move the Diamondbacks ever made in their franchise history during the winter meetings. But first, I want to talk to you guys about Bilt Bar, because Bilt Bar is back, more improved, and more delicious than ever before. They have 18 amazing flavors, but 6 new flavors. Caramel Brownie, Cookies and Cream, Cherry Barsia, Lemon Almond Cheesecake, Carrot Cake and Apple Almond Crisp. The bars are covered in 100% chocolate, and they're both soft and easy to chew. The reason why I love Bilt Bars is because they're healthy. They trick me. I'm a health-conscious guy. I try to go to the gym when I can, and I love candy. And Bilt Bar makes me think I'm eating a candy bar, but they're tricking me because in reality, I'm actually eating a protein bar that's low in calorie, low in sugar, but high in protein and high in fiber, so it's great for that keto diet. If you go to BiltBar.com right now, they reset their promo code for this relaunch. You could get 20% off your next order when you use promo code LOCKEDON. That's 20% off when you use promo code LOCKEDON at BuiltBar.com. Let's get back into it and let's pull up the biggest move in Dimeback's franchise history during the winter meetings. And I found this one so fascinating, guys, because you guys are going to, you're going to wince when you hear this move. You're going to, if you didn't already know, this trade I'm about to tell you is going to be a gut punch for you. And if you already knew about this trade, it's going to be a gut punch all over again because the hindsight we have now, knowing what we know now in 2020 As opposed to 2009 when the trade was made, we would never do this trade in a million years if we knew the way it was going to turn out. But before we get into the trade, let's first go back and look at the other big moves that the D-backs did during the winter meetings that led us up to this point. So number five on their five biggest moves during the winter meetings in franchise history D backs signed Yasmani Tomas to that major deal, and they had to trade Miguel Montero to open up the money for that. That was a deal that didn't work out because Yasmani Tomas was awful for the D backs, and they were pretty happy recently when they finally got his number off the books. That was in 2014. Go to a year later, for number four on this list, in 2013, the D-backs acquired Mark Trumbo. And it wasn't just the fact that Mark Trumbo was awful for the D-backs, only played about a season and a half with the team. They also gave up Adam E to the White Sox, who went on to be a pretty good uh, all-star level outfielder for the team. And they also gave up Tyler Skaggs, who was a solid rotation piece in that Angels rotation, I should say. Uh, number three, back in 07, the D-backs acquired Dan Heron, and you can say that deal worked out because Dan Heron was so good for the D-backs over the two and a half seasons he pitched with them, but they gave up Carlos Gonzalez, Carlos Quinn, and Chris Carter to go get Dan Heron, so they gave up two all-star level, outf- all-star level outfielders and another guy who could lead the league in home runs, so I don't think that move really worked out. Number two, D-backs acquire Shelby Miller, and they give up and siarte and Dansby Swanson. Swanson was the number one overall pick a couple months before they made this move. Endare went on to win three straight gold gloves and make an all-star team, and then Shelby Miller just went on to be an atrocious pitcher for the next three seasons with the Arizona Diamondbacks. He was completely uh, just awful with the team, and That was a move that definitely didn't work out. So of the four moves we've already covered, you could say the Dan Heron one is the only one that worked out because he did live up to being as good as advertised, but who you gave up to get Dan Heron is just as bad as getting him, honestly. But now let's go to number one and let's see the worst, or not the worst move, but the biggest move the Dimebacks ever made during the winter meetings. And it also happens to be the worst move ever because the D-backs on December 8th 2009 decided to trade Max Scherzer and Daniel Schlereth to the Tigers. The Tigers send Curtis Granderson to the Yankees and Edwin Jackson to the D-backs. And then the Yankees send Ian Kennedy to the D-backs and Phil Koch and Austin Jackson to the Tigers. So the D-backs gave up Max Scherzer. Yes, that guy, Max Scherzer, the guy we've seen, you know, win multiple Cy Young Awards. I believe he has three to his name now. Max Scherzer has been, what, arguably the best pitcher you can, of the last 20 years. Him or Clayton Kershaw is definitely one of those two guys. And if you told me Max Scherzer, I wouldn't disagree with you. He's led the league in innings twice, led the league in strikeouts three times three-time Cy Young award winner, led the league in whip four times. The man has done it all, has a a game where he struck out 20 dudes. He has a, a, back in 2018, he struck out 300 batters. So Max Scherzer has done a little bit of everything since he left the D-backs. And the reason why the D-backs traded him because they had major health concerns with him. They didn't think he was going to be a long-term option in their rotation. He had a 4-1-2 ERA that last season with the team. So They didn't see a ton of Max Scherzer. They didn't think he was going to turn into this guy when they had him. But he was their first-round pick, 11th overall back in the 06 draft. And he shot up through the ranks in their minor league system. So it was a little bit of a surprise that they want to move off of him so quickly. But from the D-backs' perspective, they figured, hey, we could trade this guy, Max Scherzer. We don't know if we really believe in him. He's got some health concerns. He's got some other concerns about his delivery. Apparently he had a pretty violent delivery back then. So take the health into question. You take his delivery into question and the D-backs came up to the conclusion, this guy is not going to be a long-term option as your number one starter. So they decided to trade Max Surger and they figured, hey, we could get Ian Kennedy and Edwin Jackson back in the deal two starters. And Ian Kennedy did end up being good with the team. In 2011, he did finish fourth in Cy Young Award voting and won 21 games. But the move to trade Max Scherzer happened in 09, So that 2010 season did not go well for the D-backs. It was so bad, actually, that they actually traded Edwin Jackson at the deadline because he was just such a bum with the team. Honestly, he had a 5-1-6 ear array and his 21 starts with the D-backs before the trade deadline. So they were happy to move off of him. And Ian Kennedy had a good first year with the D-backs. He had that 3.8-year rate in his first season before having that 21-win season, 21 win season in 2011. But we say the D-backs lost this trade because of the hindsight we know now in 2020. But the first couple years of this move, the D-backs actually won this trade because as bad as Edwin Jackson was in 2010, they were able to flip him for Daniel Hudson at the trade deadline. And he ended up being arguably their ace In that 2011 season, I guess maybe not their ace. I guess you would argue uh, Ian Kennedy was their ace. But Daniel Hudson was just as good as Ian Kennedy during that 2011 season. And the D-backs actually had a great 2011 season in general. They actually won the NL West that year, won 94 games. So in 2010, after making the move, pulling the trigger for both Ian Kennedy and Edwin Jackson. They only won 65 games, and because the season was so bad, they fired their manager, A.J. Hinch at the time, who we all know was the Astros' manager during that cheating scandal. But by the 2011 season, they brought in Kirk Gibson, and they were often w- running 94 wins. Your rotation was stabilized. Ian Kennedy was a stud. Daniel Hudson was a stud for you as well. And it looked like the D-backs were winning this deal. In 2011, Max Scherzer still wasn't... Uh, a stud in 2011 in a 4-4-3 four, four, year race so we still hadn't yet seen the the elite Max Scherzer that we know of today but now you fast forward a couple more years fast forward to 2013 Max Scherzer is a Cy Young award winner 21 wins and where are the D-backs in 2013 they are second in the NL West but they're right back to just being an average baseball team 81 and 81 once again and Daniel Hudson is uh no longer on the team by that point. Ian Kennedy is just a shell of himself by that point as well. He had the great 2011 season winning 21 games. He had the 2.88 ERA, but that next season 2012 a 4.02 ERA and then by 2013 he had a 5.23 ERA his last season with the team right before he got traded to uh the San Diego Padres in 2013. So when you look back at it Initially, you could say the D backs won the trade. They got back two starters. Their 2010 season wasn't good, but by 2011, they were able to flip Edwin Jackson for Daniel Hudson. They had their two frontline starters locked down. They were winning 94 games in 2011. So, two years in, you thought they were winning that deal, but then. By 2013, you fast forward another two years and the D-backs are back to just being an average baseball team. And Max Scherzer all of a sudden is a Cy Young Award winner. And now he's probably the best player in that trade. And everyone else also made out like bandits in that trade. Austin Jackson and Phil Koch were really good for the Tigers. And Curtis Granderson was a stud for the Yankees. So really the team that got the short end of the stick was the D-backs because the, their, their success just didn't last that long. Ian Kennedy was good for about two seasons. Daniel Hudson was good for about two seasons. And then it all fell apart, and the D-backs went right back to being average. And then in 2012, they won just 64 games. So the D-backs were back to not just being average anymore. They were back to just being the bad D-backs. Now, that's it for this edition of the Locked On Diamondbacks podcast. Hope all you guys come back tomorrow as we got more Diamondbacks news coverage and insight because it's your team every day. And NBA fans, listen up. The Locked On NBA podcast is getting ready for the start of the regular season with a special week of team preview podcasts all this week. Plus, waiver wire editions from Locked On Fantasy Basketball and rookies to watch from draft guru Chad Ford. I'll be tuning into the preview of Locked On Sun. So subscribe to Locked On NBA wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, stay safe and stay healthy out there. Deuces!